I also think that if if Krejci's going to return for these last two games, then you're probably going to want to, assuming your plan is to reunite the check line, which I think it is, you know, you probably want those guys to get at least a game together and, you know, just get the feel for playing with each other again. Like Krejci has missed the last four games, which, you know, isn't a ton, but it has been over a week since they've played together. And if they don't get another game before the playoffs, now you're talking about two weeks. So, you know, I think you'd also maybe want to keep Pasanark in for that reason, um, just so that when Krejci gets back in, if he does this week, uh, it's with the guys he's going to be playing with and he can kind of get back and get back into that rhythm. Yeah. My question was going to be, if we don't see Krejci in these last two games, are you guys concerned that it's more than just soreness? Because soreness has been the re- reported reason, the um, not even reported reason, the reason that the team is saying that he's been missing this time and it's not a serious injury, it's soreness. But I mean, if you don't see him for that extended amount of time, it's longer than a normal rest period. Um, and he doesn't play the last six games of the regular season. You guys, would you would that in your mind make you think it was more than just soreness? It would be a little bit concerning to me if he doesn't play either of his final games. I know Jim Montgomery has said, you know, basically everyone other than Felino or Forbert should be ready to go for game one, obviously, unless something happens between now and then. Um, so at no point has he given any indication that Krejci's in danger of having this linger into the playoffs. But yeah, like... You know, you'd be talking about him missing the last week and a half, two weeks of the regular season at that point. And that's that's not ideal. Like you you just you feel a lot better if he does play even just one of these final two games or if he plays both. Obviously, that's great. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any reason to believe that it's, you know, more serious than anyone's letting on. Like, I think he's. I think it's kind of just classic banged up. Like he, you know, I think soreness is, is right. Like he's just, he could probably play through it, but they want to give him time to heal and make sure it's as close to 100% as it's going to get before the playoffs. Um, but with that said, like, I, yes, I would feel better if he plays in the regular season. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I can't really add anything to, to what Scott said. It's um, Scott always takes all the points. He just like mm-hmm. steals all the points. He does. Um, but he, he's, he's a smart fellow. That's why. Um, yeah. To that point, like it, it would it be more I'm concerning going for the high score? <laughs> would it be more concerning? Um, yeah, sure. But, but I anticipate him playing in the playoffs regardless. Uh, I do feel comfortable that at least he's had this time to rest. Um, so yeah, it would be more concerning, but um, I would like to see him play. And if he does play, then then yeah, I'll feel a lot of, a lot better about that situation. Uh, speaking of of David Krejci, uh, he used to be the fourth highest scorer on the Bruins this year, but somebody has eclipsed him. And I'm curious if you guys know who it is at the top of your head. Pavel Zaka. That a girl. Pavel Zaka is. The highest scoring Boston Bruin this year, not named David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron, or Brad Marchand. Just your thoughts on on uh, on that acquisition? I know we've talked about him a lot this year, but he got his he's gotten three goals in the last two games, uh, two against the Devils last uh, last night, 
And then um, his 21st goal of the year this year to kind of ice the game, give the Bruins a two-goal lead. Um, he was playing fantastic. And I know people were talking about maybe, Scott, somebody asked you online, like, do you keep that Bertuzzi-Zaka pass and that connection together? They've been so, so good. Obviously, um, we all acknowledge that, but we also we would put that check line back together. But just your thoughts on Zaka so far. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been awesome. Like he his certain I think everyone thought like, all right, you hope a change of scenery helps him. You hope there's, you know, another level to his offense still to be unlocked. But this has certainly exceeded, I think, what anyone could have expected. Like I thought he would be a good third liner and then, you know, in upgrade over Hala in the sense that he would be a little more versatile, a little better on the wing, a little better playing on the third line, has a little more size, you know, better two-way game. Like, I thought all that, but I mean, he's, Brian, like you just mentioned the numbers, he's scoring like a legitimate top six forward. And Jim Montgomery called him that uh, on Saturday, said he's, he's, a top six forward in this league and a damn good one. Like that's, that is exactly what he has been this season. Um, we've seen him use a shot. We've seen him, you know, display very good vision passing. Uh, he, he's responsible defensively when he's played center, you see him coming back deep into the D zone and, and, you know, doing work below the goal line when it's required. Like he's, Killed penalties. He's been good in the power play. We talked about how he looks in that bumper spot. I mean, all of it. Like, it's it, the hope was that, you know, he would be really good on the wing this season and show you something that might make you believe, you know, he could be at least your number two center of the future. And he's certainly done both of those things, whether he's on the wing with Krejci and Pasternak or in the games that he's played center, like, he, yeah, he deserves a spot in your top six now and for for years to come if he keeps playing like this. And if he can do it at center, then he, he will be one of your top two centers of the future. Well, yeah, and the impressive thing is he could be a top six forward in two ways. He could be there on the wing or he could be there in the middle. Like, he, he has all this versatility that makes him, that has made him a top six center. Um this year and you know we're talking about being a top i mean a top six player this year and the potential to be a number one or number two center when bergeron and crazy retire but we've seen that he can do it and it was it was a risk it was a gamble to go after a guy who had a lot of upside was drafted number six overall but um hadn't panned out that way hadn't panned out like a number six overall pick when he was with new jersey and i think scott on sunday skate this morning he you or Razor said it was a win-win. Both New Jersey and Boston were happy with the way that that trade worked out in the offseason. But I think it was really four wins because I think Eric Hall is happier in New Jersey. Pavel Zaka could not possibly be happier in Boston where he already had an offseason home. Um, and he's having a great season here and he's playing for a team that might win the Stanley Cup. The Bruins clearly won, and the Devils also were happy with the deal. So it was a win-win-win-win um, in terms of that that trade and that move. And then to go to something else that you mentioned, Brian, in the same breath with um, talking about Pavel Zaka just keeping Bertuzzi with Pasternak. Um, Bertuzzi had three assists today, and he has become a really good setup guy for Pasternak. Obviously, we talk about Krejci being such a good setup guy. Um 
for Pasternak, but we've seen Bertuzzi become accustomed to that role. Um, he set up that give and go or like um, two on one rush scoring opportunity that Pasternak scored on. And he always just, just seems to find him. Even on the, the Zaka goal, Bertuzzi finds Pasternak who slides it over to Zaka. So um, he's, it, it seems like he's always looking to, to dish it there for Pasternak and Obviously, Pasta is such a good finisher. Um, Bertuzzi keeps adding up all these assists since he came over. I like how Bertuzzi and him play together. I really do. Um, I think you go with a check line, first of all. But it's such a good option to have. We <laughs> Throughout the season, we were talking about all these different combinations. And now all of a sudden, we're like, do you take Bertuzzi away from Pasternak? And I never thought, like, who would have thought that would be a sentence you would say and a question you would ask. Um, but it's a good problem to have. And it's a, it's a matchup thing. If you want to get those two guys together at a certain point, you easily can. Well, I, I feel like it kind of has to be the check line. Cause I don't know what you would do with David Krejci if those three were together. Exactly. <laughs> what would you do? Yeah. The, 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 the only idea that I had and that, that someone tweeted at me is you would then go a third line of Hall, Krejci, Coyle on right wing. Um, but the problem there is Coyle hasn't played wing in any Sort of extended circumstances at all this season. Those are two centers that you're throwing. That's that would be that would be a line I definitely didn't think I was gonna see this season. But the 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 crazy thing is I feel like all of those lines would work. Um it's not like that no idea is a crazy idea on this Bruins team because it just seems to work. And it speak it just speaks to the depth and the talent that that this team has to offer, right? Guys are versatile, they have enough talent to adapt to whatever they're being asked to do. Um, so, yeah, as far as Bertuzzi goes, he's clearly looking very, very confident now in a Bruins uniform. He's, he's kind of shaked off those those trade deadline cobwebs. And, um, you know, just in addition to the assists and just looking more comfortable out there playmaking-wise, you can really see that comfort come out when he stands up for David Pashnak in a scrum. I think it was uh, Rasmus Ristolainen that kind of gave – Pashnak, a little cross check and nothing crazy, but a little cross check after the whistle. And Bertuzzi comes over, um, gives a little cross check back. And it's just a, it's just a, a sign of him being willing to mix it up because he obviously cares about his teammates, his new teammates in Boston. Obviously, Pass is a 60-goal scorer, so you don't touch him no matter what. But again, just that willingness to kind of be physically engaged in scrums. And it's just, it's just, it's good to see that because that is similar to Brad Marchand. I feel like when Tyler Bertuzzi is emotionally engaged, that's, that's kind of his bread and butter. That's, He's, he's an emotional player and he kind of seemed methodical uh, early on with Boston just because he was getting acclimated to a new environment, new teammates, new system, all that stuff. But now with comfort, just he's starting to show his his true colors and what makes him such a, uh, a proficient uh, or efficient top six player. They were kind of showing him and pasta on the bench too a few times, just having fun together. Those two were just, they were just enjoying their time. Like talk uh, when they were on the bench and actually yesterday when I drove into the garden, um, I had to stop and let Pasternak and Bertuzzi cross in front of me on my way in. So those two are coming in together. Um, and I was like, I was coming down the ramp and I was like, Oh no, don't hit Pasternak. Um, so those two were, they were heading into the game together yesterday. I, I thought that they kind of look like they've really gelled. Like what an unlikely friendship that's formed between these two guys. We, uh, we would have really been putting the whole no publicity is, is bad publicity to the test. If the skate pod was making 
headlines because Bridget ran over David Posnock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I had to stop real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I was coming in. I was coming down the ramp and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Um, honestly i i'd probably be trolling bridget in the comment section if she did that <laughs> listen i'm not great in parking garages but i'm never gonna hit Posenok. all right i'll hit a pole i've hit several poles but i won't hit Posenok. so watch out marius Tchaikovsky. <laughs> oh god no is that is that a polish joke yes <laughs> <laughs> but no no i'm not gonna hit he was he was the first maybe only polish player i could think of but uh yeah you know so i'm a i'm a bertuzzi zaka pasanarka line i i so after like after that tweet just before we went on like i looked up the numbers and actually at five and five so they were really dominant sunday they're on they scored four of the goals and they were also on for one against that owen tippett goal where the Bruins as a whole and that line in particular got caught in transition with a few too many guys up ice. Um, but their, their five and five numbers weren't quite as dominant as I was expecting. So it's, they're up six, three in goal differential now and the Corsi and expected goals and all that are like around 50%. So it was two, two goal differential before Sunday. Um, but obviously they've also, been together for a bunch of power play goals, which is, I think, where you've really noticed it, where, you know, you had Zaka setting up Pasenak or or setting up Bertuzzi or Pasenak and Bertuzzi combining. So you had some of those, too. So, like, there is clearly chemistry there, and, and those three play well together. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think it makes it makes too much sense, though, to go back to the check line. And, I, and again, like, I do really want to see that Hall Coyle Bertuzzi line. Like, I hope, I hope we see that these last two games, certainly at least one of them, um, because they haven't played together in a game yet. And Bertuzzi has played very little right wing for the Bruins. So like, that's, I know, you know, everyone says he can do it. He's done it before, but he has played mostly left wing, not just with the Bruins, but also with Detroit, like that is his natural position. So you know, you don't really want to be testing that for like the first time in the playoffs. You ideally would do it this week. Uh, regarding Taylor Hall, he he made his return to the lineup last night against New Jersey, and he had been out for a little bit, significant time, over a month. And he he, he commented at practice before um, before his 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 return debut that uh, he was feeling really confident, feeling re-energized, and that he feels like he has a little bit more juice than other guys this time of year because of the duration he's been out. How did you guys feel that he fared in his return? Obviously shaking off some cobwebs and whatnot, but initial thoughts just from seeing him back on the ice for the first time in game action. Well, I was like, I thought he played, I I thought he played up to speed, right? I didn't think it was anything super special from him. I didn't think he was the most noticeable guy on the ice, Um, but he didn't look behind. He didn't look rusty. So that's a win. Um, what I was more interested in was what he had to say about how he thought he played, where his health was, you know, how he felt after the game. And he seemed to be pretty confident that he was at the speed he wanted to be at and that, you know, he was ready for playoff pace um, and that he was feeling good and ready to get back in there and wasn't suffering any sort of, you know, setback or anything like that. 
And I, I, I mean, he was kind of getting mobbed after the game because there was obviously a lot of people wanting to talk to him. And I, I wanted to ask him like, well, do you want to play out the rest of the season or do you want to rest? And um, so obviously we get the answer today that the Bruins did rest him for the game in Philadelphia. I expect him to play the last two games. I would think he would want to be in there the last two games, kind of like Brad Marshawn. He's one of those guys who wants to play the last two games and get real, really get a better idea of where he's at um, heading into the playoffs. Cause obviously he hasn't scored in a long time. Cause he, um, the last game he played before yesterday was February 25th. So um, it's been a long time uh, because of the injuries since he's been able to contribute a goal. So um, he's going to want to see that. I think he should and will play the last two games of the regular season. Um, I, I'm not concerned. I think it probably was true that he was on track and maybe ready to come back even before he did. Yeah. I, I mean, I obviously didn't get final clearance earlier. I think like, I don't really think they stretched it out any longer than, than they had to, because we saw that they were able to activate him. They were able to move forward and Felino to LTIR and they've known for a while that those two aren't going to be back before the end of the regular season. So they could have made that move at any point. Like, I, I think it was just, they really wanted to make sure Hall checked to, to use Jim Montgomery's terms, checked every box was fully cleared and, you know, wasn't going to be, wasn't, he wasn't going to be rushed back. And I think he, more what I mean, isn't that it's that if they needed to win, right. He could have come back sooner. Like if this was a team that was on the cusp of making the playoffs on the bubble, he probably could have and, and would have come back sooner. But because of the situation the Bruins are in, there's no need to rush. There's no need to clear guys before they're ready. So um, I guess that's just a distinction I would want to make that health-wise. Yeah. If he really had to play and it was a um, you know a life or death situation for the Bruins heading into the playoffs, he probably would have been cleared sooner. Yeah, for sure. And you know, and he said like he really wanted to make sure his return was either. Toronto or New Jersey, because he knew those would be, you know, higher intensity, higher caliber of opponent, um, playoff type games. And as it turned out, the New Jersey game was definitely higher intensity than the Toronto game. You know, we talked about that in the last podcast, like that, that Leafs game lacked a little bit of juice for, for long stretches of it. The New Jersey game didn't, that, that was a great game. Like that was, you know, I think regular season games are, almost never at like playoff pace. So I'm not going to go that far, but like it, it was pretty darn close to, to playoff pace as far as regular season games go. So that was a good game to get him in there. And yeah, like you said, mm-hmm. Bridget, he, 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 he felt like he, you know, was up to pace. He didn't fall behind and he didn't look behind. Like, like I thought he had some, he had some quieter shifts, but he had some really, really good ones too, where he was, active in the offensive zone. He was protecting the puck. He was holding on to it. He got some good looks. He had four shots on goal. One was in a grade A chance set up by Charlie Coyle that he just kind of partially whiffed. And that could be, you know, like players always say the thing that they need to get back the most come back from injury is their timing. Like that could have been a timing thing. So yeah, it's also going to be important for him to play these last two because you don't, totally get your timing back in in just one game scott for for bruins fans listening 
who may not know the answer to this, definitely not me. I, I obviously know the answer to the question I'm about to ask. Um, Bridget, don't tell Scott. I have no idea the answer. Um, for Nick Foligno and Derek Forbert, who just got put on LTIR, like what is that? What is that timetable look for them now? Like when? When? How long do they have to be on that for? How does that work? It, it just means they can't return in the regular season. Um, there's no added length of time. They've both been out long enough already to meet uh, the long-term IR, you know, ramifications. I think it's 10 games in 24 days, I believe. So they're both good. LTIR can be retroactive to when they got injured. So they can return at end playoffs. Um, again, it's just going to be a matter of when they're cleared and, you know, Bruins will do, we'll have to kind of balance, like, where are they going to play? And, you know, is there, knock on wood, like another injury that crops up that maybe causes them to, you know, try to move up the timeline a little bit? But, um, yeah, as of now, they are, there's nothing preventing them from returning in the playoffs whenever they're ready. Brian knew that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was just Brian, yeah. no, I, I know Brian 100% knew that. Knew that. Yeah. <laughs> um, for everybody else, that's that's wondering, that's all. Re- reading between the lines a little bit, though, I will say that it's I don't think either of these guys are going to be back game one of the playoffs, right? These are this isn't a cap deferral, like this is these guys are injured in a way that they're hopeful to come back for the first round and that this could be mid first round. This could be, you know, at some point in the first round, but I don't think it's going to be game one of the first round based on some of the comments that Nick Foligno made. Um, And he said, you know, he'll be pestering the doctors to clear him, but he doesn't want to come back until he's fully healthy either. So, um, and he, something that he shared uh, before in the pregame before New Jersey was that, um, this is a really serious injury. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't just a little bit banged up. He said, I'm surprised I feel as good as I do now, considering how serious an injury this was for me. So um, it's not like he's just waiting for that clearance. I do think there's still work for him to do before he's physically healthy enough to hundred percent where he needs to be um, for the playoffs. Um, and he's not, he's, you know, he's a veteran. He understands that he shouldn't come back unless he's hundred percent on this team that has healthy players that can go. Um, so I really do think that Forbert and Felino both aren't game one guys. I think we're looking mid first round. And I think even in some ways it sounded like the first round might be an optimistic um, timetable for them. Well, Forbert, especially because he hasn't mm-hmm. even started skating with the team yet. He's done some skating on his own, but you know, We'll see this week if he joins them in a no contact jersey. But like at least Felino has been on the ice with the team in a no contact jersey for for the past week now. So like that's at least a tangible sign of progress where you can see him out there skating with the guys, doing some drills, obviously the non contact ones. And like you can watch him skate and be like, Oh yeah, he looks pretty good. Okay. He's cutting, he's stopping, starting, all that stuff. Um, with forward, like we haven't seen that yet. So, um, you know, I, I would imagine it's a little longer for forward and Felino might be closer to whether it's game one or sometime in the early part of the first round, but 
he still has to be cleared out of the no contact and go through his final steps as well. So Felino's injury worries me a bit just because I feel like it can go one of two ways for him. Uh, like he was having such a bounce back season for Boston that I obviously fear that this break um, would be detrimental to his momentum. And you're going to, you're going to go from being on the shelf for a month and a half, two months to jumping right back into NHL playoff action where his game is that type of hockey where he, he's going to, he's not going to hop into a playoff game and not try to run guys to the boards, not trying to block shots, not trying to do whatever it takes to help his team win. And when you go from zero to a hundred like that, that worries me that he he's susceptible to maybe get an injury that he might not have had, had he not been, had he been in the lineup the last couple, like month and a half, two months, like maybe he'll pull something. Cause it's, I don't know. That's, that's the pessimistic view I have, but the optimistic view I have is that hopefully maybe as an older guy whose game is energy and physicality, that maybe this time off could be a blessing in disguise where he's been able to, heal some wounds, not just the one that he's mainly out for, but maybe some other nagging injuries that he had. And maybe um, he can hit the ice, hit the ground running, hit the ice running um, like he did earlier in the season this year where he had a phenomenal start to the regular season. Maybe he's able to bottle up all that energy uh, in an appropriate manner and and be really effective come playoff time um, because he had a great, he had a great off season um, to get ready for this season. Maybe I'm sure he's had a similar training regimen as long as he was physically able to do so with this injury. So Felino is really, a, he's a, he's a big question mark. It can go one of two ways. Um, and if he, if he comes back into the lineup and he's not offering what he's capable of offering, unfortunately for him, there are guys in the Bruins right now, like you mentioned, Bridget, like Lauko and Greer and, Maybe even Frederick, if he has to go down to the fourth line because of the third line we were talking about earlier with Hall, Coyle, and Bertuzzi. So, like, there are guys that if if Felino's not bringing what Felino can, because he, he might be uh, prone to being on the ninth floor. So it's kind of a it's a big question mark for me with him. I just hope he can stay healthy regardless. Yeah, and you know, when I had Jake on last week. Like obviously he had his own leg injury and he said, you know, kind of like the last thing for him was like, he didn't really know if his speed was going to be there. And obviously DeBrusque plays more of a speed game than Felino, But I think one of the things we saw, you know, and I think with DeBrusque, we've seen like his speeds back now and it has been for a while, but with Felino, even though like that's not the biggest part of his game, one of the things we saw earlier this season was that he did have some speed that wasn't there last year. Like him being healthier uh, allowed him to make plays off the rush to, to drive wide, to back off defenders. And if this injury has at all sapped some of that speed and he's playing at a slower pace, close to what he was last year, well, then you might see a player who, you know, looks more like Nick Felino of last year. And that was not the same player you were getting earlier this season. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's a definitely a fair concern. Like you even know, yeah, like he'll go out there and he'll bang bodies no matter how he's feeling. But if he's actually going to be the Nick Felino who was able to bring some offense and help drive that fourth line, 
um, in terms of possession and playmaking, then he's going to need some of that speed that, that he had earlier this year. Yeah. And we've heard this multiple times from multiple different players, coaches that I think maybe it was Bertuzzi or Hathaway when they first came over at the deadline, they said, what's one of the things you notice right away about this team. And they said, how, how quick the transition game is. And when, you know, when you have a guy come back, you want him to be able to be, you know, adding to that speed or keep up to that speed in the transition game that the Bruins have. I, I think it was Bertuzzi saying it was the fastest transition game that he's ever seen, the, fa- the fastest he's ever seen a team go through the neutral zone like that. So, um, and when you think about who could be playing instead of Felino, you're talking about some guys that are, are pretty quick. Like Frederick is quick. Um, Blauco is quick. Um, Greer even, you know, probably not as quick as those two, but, um, you know, the transition game has kind of been one of those strong points for the Bruins all season. So um, that is where the speed would come in for Felino. 